Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Hi, Holly. Hi, Bill. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Is it raining at St. Paul's? It is not. Yeah. It, it is yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, kind of burst open. Isolated, raining showers. Yeah. I um, am getting eaten alive by mosquitoes thanks to all this rain. I am a mess. They love me because I'm so sweet. That's it, that's it huh? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, we are in, I think this is our 60th podcast, actually. A little more than a year of podcast recordings. And we're in a train, another transition in that I am now back in my office and you are still in your yeah. house. Oh, but this is a huge transition being in my house. It has been without children for the first time in 16 months. In other words, Where I have not, well, two of them are at a, camp at Rye, so kind of technology and um, robotics camp. <laughs> and my oldest is at a sleepaway camp for the first time. So for the first time, we have about six hours of quiet during the day that we did not oh, previously that's wonderful. have. Yeah. Well, speaking of the fact that you, you um, said it was raining there, it's not raining here. I'll give you a... Um, weather report that okay. was written by Steve Garnus Holmes. I'm on his listserv and I get his stuff every day. And he ended one of his emails just a couple, last week by saying weather report. Being deepening over time with presence accumulating throughout the day. Mystery tonight, glory in the morning as life continues. Oh, that's wonderful. Isn't that good? Yeah. Yeah, I, I like this stuff. It's a good way for me to be greeted on the email every morning. By the way, uh, I know you have something that you want to say about where we're going this week, but um, people who are unfamiliar with the content of the Jesus database of stories might initially think that the parables called the treasure hidden in the field and the pearl of great price are very similar and mm -hmm. they could not be more different. The, in, in the treasure in the field, the man in the parable accidentally stumbles over the treasure. And he has the presence of mind to know what he found. But it was something that happened upon him without his initiation, bidding, desire, anything. Whereas in the Pearl of Great Price, the central character is described a pearl merchant who had gone looking for a pearl of great price and finally found mm -hmm. one. So that's pretty different. It's very different. One is on a journey, one accidentally discovers. Um, do you think that the sort of symbolism of each is similar, that it is about the sort of discovery of the treasure within, of the divine within? Um, or do you think that the symbolism is also different? Well, um, 
I don't, I don't know how many books on the parables I own, but quite a few. And uh, Brandon Scott is probably the leading scholar on the parables. Uh, there are many, many, many other people who've written books about the parables, but the most radical interpretation of the Pearl of Great Price is that the person doing the searching, the character who's doing the searching in this parable is God. Huh. So the character, and we are the treasure. And you. Wow. You are the pearl. Do you think it's all of creation or just humanity? Well, it would have to be, I think, all of creation. Of course, we humans are so narcissistic. We think everything is about us. And that we're the main yeah. show. We're just, somebody described humans to me once like this. We are like a fly on the rump of a cow <laughs> that can be flicked off with a swish of a tail. Yeah, yeah, we can. We're that small, that insignificant, and that annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a good perspective because I, I think... Um, and I, I, I'm probably going to elaborate on this on Sunday. Um, I think one of the paradoxes, one of the contradictions that we have always to walk in doing spiritual work, and I'm not sure of the parallels of this in Hinduism or Buddhism. I'm going to have to check that out. But in... Um, in both Judaism and in developing Christian theology, there is uh, there are two truths that go parallel to each other. One of them is is um, represented or illustrated in the words of Jesus, where he says, "Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my burden upon you." It's this invitation that you see the, in the Hebrew prophets and you see it in Jesus, uh, the, the parables he tells. He sends out, the, the master sends out invitations to bring everybody into the banquet, bring everybody in. I'm inviting you, I'm inviting you, I'm inviting you. And then there is another side to that where, and this is in both Judaism and in the developing Christian theology, where the message is clearly, you did not choose me. I chose you. Hmm. So I know you by name. You belong to me. I've gone out into the field and picked mm -hmm. you and brought you into safety. So those two teachings ride side by side each other throughout the Jewish and the, and the Christian teachings. And they're both yeah. true. Yeah. It, so there's... You make me think of two things. One, um, in in these teachings, and this is just, I think, impossible to sort of stray from. Um, there is this idea of God creator. I choose you. You, you know, I know every hair on your head. And yet, as we were just briefly talking about Michael Morewood, uh, Brian Swim, and just thinking about cosmology and how hard it is to continue to believe in that narrative of the God that created and the God that chose. Um, mm -hmm. 
because our, you know, but our hermeneutic has to change, right? Like our, our interpretation of God has to change. It's so hard to undo the images of God that we have been taught in traditional religion and tr in many traditional settings to expand it past the, I choose you, I created you, you are mine, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and then the second thing I was thinking about is how remarkable that makes someone like Meister Eckhart, who we've both been kind of reading around that in, mm -hmm. you know, the 12th century, 13th century, that he was actually playing with that notion of God in a really active way. Mm -hmm. And I turned to the, a page that I read yesterday that um, just makes me think about what you were just talking about. And it's called One Single One. This I tell you is true. In eternity, everything is present at once and everything is one. For when God gazes upon God's self, God gazes upon all that was and is and will be looking and seeing with a single eye. Because when God looks, God sees all that is one as a single one. So if you want to see as God sees, look with the same single eye. And when you do, you will see with the undivided eye of wanting love. That's how we have to train ourselves to see is in that lack of separation not the God out there, not the universe out there. But it just, I guess that brings up for me those two things. How do we redefine God? And how do we see <laughs> as that God that we are redefining sees with, with oneness? Mm -hmm. So let me uh, change the subject and ask you a question. <laughs> um, you convenient. know that. Uh, you know that uh, there is a spiritual practice called Lectio Divina. Yes. And there is, and we were talking with Matt Russell and Brooke Summersbury when Conspire was first getting started a long time ago. There is also a uh, Divina that, uh, that you can practice when you look at art. What is that called? Visio uh, Divina. Visual? Yeah, Visio Divina. That's what I've called it. Visio Divina. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to let people know that that's coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, We're with the, do the prodigal with the painting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a nice little roundabout way of saying, <laughs> I'm not going to answer your question. I'm going to just change the subject. <laughs> uh, all right, go back to the question. Well, I think it just goes back to redefining God, right? We 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 really only mm -hmm. operate in scripture in the religious tradition with very traditional images of God. Uh -huh. And you and I are trying to go. Yeah, yeah we're, re we're we're in the process of rethinking all of that. And I was thinking this morning in my in my morning practice and, and with a view a little bit to what we're continuing to work on in ordinary life, if it would not really be helpful if we impose the discipline on ourselves to quit using the word God. Yeah, you know, there's I have two minds about that too. And one of my minds says, yeah, we got to find another way to talk about God that's more holistic, that's more 
wanting, as the poem says, that's more inclusive. And then there's the part of me that says, no, say God all the time, because then it just becomes saturated with all that is. So I kind of mm -hmm. wax and wane between the two. And then I just wonder, well, what is the other word that I have right now? Um, and I don't know that I have another word. Um, you use sacred mystery. I have for years. Um, somebody here on the staff asked me um, two, three months ago, they said that they were paying attention to what we were saying and that they liked the teaching and that after listening to more wood and then some of what we did, they, they still wanted to have a form of prayer in their lives. And they didn't know who to address that prayer to and sacred mystery sounded too impersonal. Mm -hmm. And could I make a suggestion about another usage that they could use? And without really thinking about it, I just said divine parent. Mm. And uh, I, about three or four weeks ago, this person came back to me and said, by the way, I want to let you know that worked for Interesting. me. Interesting. Um, so, you know, if you look in um, the back, I think it is of Always We Begin Again, uh, Christensen has all of these words that people have used for God in a multitude of traditions uh, all across the years. Um, the Muslims, of course, hands down, have the most names hmm. because they um, say that there are 100 names, but only 99 are pronounceable. Um, and that's why the mala is 99 beads on it. Um, their mala, their prayer beads, uh, mm -hmm. has 99 beads. Um, and those names, though, are more descriptors of righteous, just, holy, loving, you know, all the, all the things you can, you can look them up. So there are, there are words that people use to point to the energy that sustains everything. Holy breath, holy yeah. spirit. I love that Hebrew word, ruach, the, the word for breath. Um, I think that you know, I don't know Hebrew at all, you know, minus a few words here and there, but I, I do think it's a really um, expressive language in terms of, you know, I think it's impossible to depersonify God altogether because we're persons you know, and, and, and the way that we relate to things is through our own self-consciousness. I mean, that's the kind of simplified way of saying what Meister Eckhart says is the eye through which I see God is the same eye through which God sees me. If we depersonify it, then we are going to hold it at arm's length. But if we overly personify it, then we're going to get back to those sort of traditional notions of God, um, God creator, God cosmic soup stirrer, God who answers prayers directly. Um, I will confess that it is really, I don't really pray directly to anything. Um, I don't. And that is 
just a void as to as to what is the answer to how shall we pray you know mm -hmm. i kind of think well i i kind of try to pray with my feet and my actions and my sense of wonder a uh, sense of appreciation i like the idea of engaging with the word god through the avenue of lectio divina or visio divina you know just sort of playing with that mm -hmm. but um but i do not pray directly to anyone or anything i i have found in my contemplative practice the use of icons to be mm -hmm. very helpful and um i have in conversation with my own spiritual director um resorted to an icon of mary and and the and um it's kind of a nativity scene madonna and child scene that mm -hmm. i have had um it is an icon that's comes from Russia, and I don't remember the name of it, but I've had it for a long time. And the myth behind the icon was that it was painted on a table that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph ate at, which is, yeah. of course, pure fiction, but it's a nice story. Uh, but it, I've, I've had this icon for a long time. And then a few years ago, as you know, I, I, I found or was found by that icon of the pentocrator. And so I have both of those um, on my, um, I, have, I have both of those um, on my pewter table where I can see them. And um, I don't think that I pray to them, but they serve as a focus for me to stay, bring my attention back, yeah. bring my attention back. And, you know, if I am trying in some way to establish a relationship with the divine sacred, how do I do that? And mm -hmm. I just sit with it and see what happens. Yeah. Every That's day. The, I love the Kabir poem that says, God is the breath inside the breath, inside the breath. And that mm -hmm. I think is what, focused attention allows you to do is just kind of keep going to the underneath, to the underneath, to the underneath. Um, I was reading the John Shelby Spong book last night and, um, you know, he's challenging literalism. I mean, he's basically saying this chapter is about challenging everyone who's ever thought that these are literal stories. And so you know, he goes through the list of the sort of known biblical stories and said, this is not literal. This is not literal. This is not literal. Um, and it uh, sort of basically arrives at the conclusion that words are, are the finger pointing at the moon mm -hmm. as our images. Mm -hmm. And, and this is so um, I'm looking kind of beyond my computer right now at a magnetic board that I have that I just kind of keep collages that I make or things that I make over time. And in any time we make something, write something, try to explain something, it's just the finger pointing at the moon. <laughs> mm -hmm. And who knows how it gets closer or what resonates, you know, something that may have resonated with me a year ago when I made it or wrote it might not resonate today. Um, because we're always changing and evolving. 
but that uh, that idea, I guess, of letting visuals, letting words be conduits through which we experience something. You know, a word, mm-hmm. when you read a wonderful book and a passage can elicit such emotion in you, it's connecting with something. It's not the book itself, but it's the conduit through which that you connect with that mm-hmm. space. So what we're going to focus on Sunday is yeah. um, the other side of being of finding, surprisingly finding, and, and then uh, some aspect of either being found or being on a deliberate search, either one mm-hmm. would would work. And I'm, um, you know, it's this joke, I call the class, this is coming Sunday, uh, has Jesus found you? Because it turns upside down the evangelical yeah. question, have you found Jesus? Yes. And uh, then, but the real title is Clues and Evidence. Yeah. What are the clues and evidence that we use for ensuring us that we're on actually on the path? Um, and that's going to be interesting to say if anybody has discovered something this past week that they can say, oh, I, I found a treasure. This is my treasure that I found, whatever. Or how do they evaluate what they see in other people as they're having found the treasure i think that's really fascinating yeah for sure you know i mentioned just before we started that i had been reading some critique of you know i'm sure that you sometimes do this too as you're sort of reading through things or thinking through things you might have an idea and then google something about the idea you're having so for example i googled um feminist approaches to the pearl of great price um you know, there's in like a couple of things came up. Number one, all this literary critique of the Scarlet Letter, which I mentioned, and I had forgotten that Hester Prine's daughter's name was Pearl. And literary scholars think that the per, that her name references directly the Pearl of Great Price in the parable. Um, and because, it, because what the daughter comes to represent is more of a metaphor rather than a character. And she represents a kind of unlocking this woman, her mother, the sinner, from this very trapped puritanical society. Mm-hmm. She is found through the process of having a quote unquote illegitimate child. And so that was when, and I, I just kind of went down that path <laughs> for a minute. But the other part, and I don't know if I've ever been taught this directly. Actually, I know I have. I, I, there were teachings at my summer camp that were, they, as we got older and we got to be teenagers, we always got the lecture about sex. And girls specifically are taught that their body is the treasure. Their body is the pearl of great price and not to give it away. Uh, virginity for young women is incredibly important in many Christian circles. <laughs> And I don't know if young men receive that same message, but I just, you know, I kind of think that that purity teaching needs to go. I'm not saying let's go have crazy promiscuous sex and just, you know, let it go completely. But I'm saying that girls are taught, you are the keeper of the treasure, the gatekeeper, right? It's Mm -hmm. a really damaging way. it's all about pregnancy. It's about, because if you get pregnant, you'll bring shame upon 
our family, your body, our community, um, which is also what Hester Prime goes through. She is the one who bears the physical mark of adultery. Mm-hmm. The man never comes forward, can let it remain a secret, and therefore not have to pay the consequences. So I just thought that was interesting that a lot of mm-hmm. this, in some ways, relates to the ways that we're taught about sexuality. Mm-hmm. Had you ever heard that growing up? Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. I've heard that. And, and I, as a psychologist and seeing people for counseling over the years, have dealt with the negative consequences of that when people are taught for years and years and years and years that sex is nasty and dirty and that their bodies are just something to be ashamed of and so forth and so on. And then they get married and all of a sudden it's supposed to be 180 degrees away from that. And they go, I can't make that change that fast. Yeah. And so I think that what it would really be helpful to our culture to have is a really good healthy discussion about sex and human sexuality yeah. and and uh, for God's sakes to back off of persecuting people who uh, find it within themselves find within themselves a compulsion to express sexuality in a way that doesn't match what the majority of people think sexual expression should be. Um, we don't we don't have a place in society for that discussion, and as a consequence, we created a lot of um, scapegoats with people who are in the LBGTQ plus community, and a lot of shame and a lot of lack of freedom. I'll tell you something occurred here at St. Paul's two weeks ago that just made me so absolutely pleased. Mm-hmm. You know that the, the Methodist Church has been in this struggle about how to deal with the Book of Discipline saying that we deem homosexuality to be incompatible with Christian practice. And uh, there's been a struggle in the, in the United Methodist Church for years to get that language removed from the Book of Discipline. And now, next year, there will come a split in the Methodist denomination. An entire new denomination is going to be created called the Global Methodist Church, GMC, like a truck. (laughs) And uh, those of us who are not in that camp will be, we will remain uh, to be the United Methodist Church. St. Paul's will be a part of that. I'm so grateful about that. But what happened here two weeks ago was that we had a pride event. Yeah. We couldn't have a pride parade this year right? because of the COVID. And, it's delayed. Uh, it, they hope to have it, it in the fall. Yeah. It, but the, uh, you're right. It, it was delayed. Um, so uh, it was too hot to have a pride picnic outside. So they, they sold tickets or they asked for donations for lunches for this pride event that they were holding in the place where we teach the Mm -hmm. class it was sold out great couldn't get more people in there 
Yeah. And people were speaking about finding freedom and acceptance and inclusion at St. Paul's. It was just so wonderful. Yeah. I'm so pleased that we were able to do that kind of thing. That's a treasure of great price. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I that it's never made sense to me why we need to exclude people based on bodies based on preferences based on and and that relates even to skin color and nationality you know I, I I'd love to see the church take a deep dive also into how into its relationship with race and racism and exclusion in that way too you know mm -hmm. um this is I read somebody's post the other day I, I can't remember whose but um she was kind of openly posting that she said, I went back to church for the first time in a long time. And I have such a complicated relationship with the church. Like I love the liturgy and the worship. Um, but that the church has this history of advocating for um, selling slaves, owning mm -hmm. slaves, excluding LGBTQ, excluding others, uh, excluding non-virgins. <laughs> Mm -hmm. you know, um, it was, is a struggle. And so it's kind of always, and again, even the church itself, the experience of the church itself is still just the finger pointing at the moon. Absolutely. You know? And so how do we kind of, and, and I think my like growth over the course of my adult life has been and I wonder if this is ever true for you too, is how to stay in something, to accept its imperfections, to not, you know, so to speak, put all of my eggs in one basket. The church itself is not what I have faith in. Well, that's one of the ways I think about marriage. Yeah. You know, I stay in a relationship as a person who uh, fails to keep fully vows and promises with a person who fails fully to compete vows and promises um, in, in a relationship where there are inevitable difficulties and, and disagreements and disappointment. And because of the love of the person and the, the hope for the relationship. And I think the same thing is the way I feel about institutional religion like this particular church that i am have been part of for 50 years um i love it for a variety of reasons the people the tradition the architecture the music and all of that and i am fully aware of the flaws the limitations the mistakes the wrongs that it has created in its past and probably will continue to create. <clears throat> One of my professors in seminary said, the church is like Noah's Ark. Mm. If it weren't for the storm on the outside, you couldn't stand the stink on the inside. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, and I was thinking, uh, then we might, we might revisit this. I, I you, you know that I went through a period of time, and I think this was before COVID happened, where I emphasized that we must hang on to the reality of two things. One, the end of cosmological dualism. That's one. Mm 
And the other is the end of individual salvation. Mm -hmm. We have got to um, embrace the reality of, of, of corporate empowerment as well as corporate sin, if you want to use that word. Mm -hmm. And this is why I think that so many um, evangelical Christians, if you will, let me say it that way, are upset about critical race theory mm -hmm. because their value is on what happens to the individual and, in, and, and putting a big barrier about what we've done corporately. Mm -hmm. And um, we got to put an end to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we can't look at something with critique, even lovingly, then we, we just won't grow. We will not right. grow. And right. oh, gosh, um, one of the things about the Pearl of Great Price that it, you know, it, one of, it says that the kingdom of heaven, which as you say, that kingdom was probably not the word that was utilized in the early movement um, is like a Pearl of Great Price. So, so it kind of became used as, and, and God, sent his son Jesus as the greatest pearl to for you to atone for your sins and have eternal salvation. So in other words, mm -hmm. this, this parable that is about being found mm -hmm. became about individual salvation. <laughs> and the way that I'm experiencing going through some of these parables, parables that in some ways I have just taken for granted that I haven't investigated um, in this way ever. So I'm untangling all these knots. What did I think this meant? What was I taught about this meant? In, mm -hmm. it, you know, and, and trying to create something more beautiful, create something more whole mm -hmm. from it. That's oh, a good we... metaphor for how we reimagine re God. You know, untangling the knots of what we've been taught to create something more whole and more beautiful. When we get to the parable of the, what we call the prodigal son, mm -hmm. Brandon Scott, who I said I think really is the leading authority on the biblical nature of parables, he's the scholar that I trust. He calls the parable the parable of the father who had two sons. Hmm. Now, my co-teacher in ordinary life wants to put a girl in there too. <laughs> and yeah. there there is one, and there is one in the there is one in the painting. Mm -hmm. So um, again, if you're reading Shelby Spong, any of you, which I encourage to read the, the fourth gospel by Shelby Spong, these stories were not written down for at least 60, 70, 80 years after mm -hmm. the death of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So they, they reflect Jesus remembered, not Jesus quoted. Right. They are not literal, as Spong reminds no. us. But yeah, and I, I actually have been thinking a lot about not all of them, but a good many of the parables are interpreted in the masculine. You know, we there. It's a patriarchal, patriotic system. Yeah, and so I 
tend to think, well, who's left out of this? Who's who's Women. left out of this story? The feminine. You know? Yeah. Yes. So. Okay, I must go. All right. I, I will see you Sunday. You will. And we will. Wear we your will. pearls. Don't forget it, your pearls. I don't have any pearls, but I'll find some. Yeah. All right. Love okay. you. Love you too. Bye. Bye.